Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, one cage. This is episode 97, Between Worlds, from 2018. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today, from across the pond, if you will, we are bringing in our Scottish friends, the hosts, the creators, the brain children behind Cagerama and then Cagerama 2, Cage Uncaged, hashtag bring cage to glasgow we have sean welsh and megan mitchell hello guys hi hey, guys hello i had your names in front of me looking at the names and i still got nervous i was like i'm gonna mix them up i'm gonna do it wrong we can edit still was panicked i don't know why <laughs> that's absolutely fine you sound like you nailed it yeah we, well, we'll answer to so any name really like uh, we, we don't need any particular name it's fine well, we appreciate you being here, time difference and all. You are in the future right now to talk about... Oh, actually, hold on. That's perfect. That was an accidental segue. But for a movie <laughs> trapped between two places, we are separated by time and space. So this is a wonderful movie to talk about, Between Worlds, a movie that you guys are showing at Cagerama 2, right? That's right. We actually have the UK premiere, which is a little bit staggered from the North American release, so... Uh, our event is at the start of January, and that's what we're uh, we're closing the festival with the UK premiere of Between Worlds. That's wonderful. Can you talk a little bit about coming up with Cagerama, uh, what movies you showed last year, what you're doing this year, if there's any changes you made? I know you're adding in someone that's new but near and dear to our hearts in Tom mm-hmm. Hanks. Yeah. Could you just talk a little bit about the event, about why you started it, how it evolved, what you're doing this year. No wrong answers, just go for it. I guess it came about because we're both lifelong cage fans. Myself, I'm the leading academic in Valley Girl across the world. So we just had an affinity for cage. We're both film programmers anyway. So we thought, why not bring the greatest actor to the greatest city? There you go. So we're still working on that aspect of it. But for the first year... We thought about Cage in two aspects, so Cage the Fighter and Cage the Lover. Um, So we programmed the holy trinity of action films, so The Rock, Face Off and Con Air. And then we had um, some of his more romantic roles, so Moonstruck, Valley Girl and Raising Raising Arizona. I love it. Yeah, so jumping off from that, we're now in our second year and we're just looking at crazy cage i guess some of his more out there off the charts performances i guess i think to give cagerama to its full t- title it's uh, cagerama to cage uncaged yes so, so w- which movies are you showing this year aside from between worlds what else are you showing oh there's so many <laughs> we basically we took the opportunity uh, like after like last year was so well received uh we've kind of turbocharged this year so we actually have nine films nine films over whoa the, okay yeah, it's got out of hand really yeah, um we kind of burst the banks of the weekend we've got like a friday screen of mandy then we okay. have bad lieutenant we have vampire's kiss we have army of one we have the wicker man uh we have mom and dad we have adaptation have a run out yet and we have wild at heart i think that's all wonderful so. a lot of a lot of good stuff in there oh yeah yeah the general theme is like you know has kind of more out there performances like megan said so i think we we're more sympathetic to we're not we're not ones for necessarily the cage rage you know and the kind of snarky appreciation of cage we're more right. just like mm-hmm. you know the, the the you know the full holistic picture of the the, the phenomenon that, that is cage because that's what not why we started this but that's sort of been our guiding light this entire time is not to make fun of him but to honor his commitment and to really just admire how deep mm-hmm. and how involved he gets into the movies and like 
aside from a couple movies recently, he really never mails it in. Like, whether it's, like, a normal, a quote-unquote normal movie, or a movie like this, or whatever, he's always committed to the role. It's frustrating to me, and I'm sure also to, to you guys, in seeing the internet just be like, oh, look at, like, not the bees, not the bees. But, like, if you watch the entire, like, The Wicker Man as a whole is, like, this, like, commitment to a type of movie that no one else knew that they were making other than the director. And, like, there's so much more to admire and to appreciate about that. It makes me a little sad when people just, you know, reduce him to a gif. But hopefully, you know, by watching the entire movie, people will understand a little bit more about what The Wicker Man is really, I guess, all about. If and if anyone can ever really understand what The Wicker Man is about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, you're, you're totally right, because obviously the first thing that we encounter, not the first thing, but one of the things we encounter, like, promoting this is, why are you doing a Cage, a cage film festival? Like, he's terrible. And we do posts on Facebook, and inevitably, with enough attention, it's kind of like a Cage version of Godwin's Law. You'll get, like, someone saying, he's terrible. Like, he is the worst actor of all time. But to be honest, like, we get way more Cage love than Cage kind of hate. It's, it's, and it's certainly the audience. I think last year, because we had the kind of the holy trinity of the action cage, we did have people that were just there to kind of like, not hate watch, but just like there for just those films. But because we have the whole um, variety of like, you know, the Cage, like we had Cage of the Lover that time, this this time we've got a way broader scheme. We, we get people that just love Cage for everything. And then that, inco- and that incorporates people that love the action Cage and also the people that like to wear Cage clothes to come to the events, you know, like Cage themed clothing. And oh, like, of course. Yeah. Cage cosplay. Oh, well, to be honest, we haven't encountered the Cage cosplay just yet, but we're told that someone is coming to uh, this year's festival that looks like Cage, so we're hoping that they're going to lean into that. Yeah, but that may be cover up for actual Cage to come. That's my hope. Yeah. That it's someone that's like, oh, I totally look like him, and it is, in fact, just Cage. Well, this whole thing (laughs) is just a huge excuse to meet Cage. Yeah, you're asking us why we do it. It's like, I want to meet Nick Cage. How do I do that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, we had done uh, Greg, Greg McLennan from the Draft House, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. from the Draft House, and he did program some caged marathons, and you know, eventually Cage showed up. Like he got him there, and he spent the day, and they watched the movies together. So it's, you know, the possibility is there. It's not out of reach. So you're on the right track. I think we're getting closer and closer. Last year, like um, we had uh, Marco. Uh, who yep. you, you guys know, uh-huh. and so Marco, we spoke to him um, via Skype, and he was there to like talk about the kind of. And that was kind of prime period for Marco when he was like standing in for Cage. Uh, I guess he called it the Cage Wage years. And so, sure. like, we we, we, <laughs> we were reaching out for Cage, but we got Cage's stand in and it was glorious. So, um, I think we'll just uh, we'll just keep on reaching and I'm sure at one point we'll get him. I hope so. It's the kind of thing that I would love to go to. Like, I, I envision a Same. future where I Me am too. an eccentric millionaire who's just able to fly from film festival to film festival and, like, wherever Cage is most likely to be. Like, when Cage showed up in Austin, it was. I think, like, a was it the year? I think it was the year I moved away from Austin. Like, I would have been at that event. I was like, God, like, I missed him. But, like, it's going to happen at some point, I think. You know, I, I have faith in him and in the universe that right. I will one day meet him and all will be right in my world. I think it's just that you're just walking that knife, knife edge between meet him and restraining order. I'm between worlds, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Between worlds. So this, between worlds is the eighth movie 
that Nicolas Cage has starred in that came out this year. So at the end of this episode, we're going to look back at all eight movies. We're also going to look ahead to next year because I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I sort of I have a sense of what these titles are, but I don't know really what the movie is about. And someone mm-hmm. uh, wrote to us on Twitter and said, I think it'd be cool if you look ahead to because you know, Mike had said we want to look back and sort of have like a, a year-end wrap-up of both Cage Club and Cage's movies, but also look ahead to what's coming next and sort of, you know, if we know anything. Like, I try to go into these movies as blind, blind. as possible, but I know yeah. there's certain ones I'm really looking forward to. And so at the end, we're going to talk about that. But this, importantly, is the eighth movie that he's come out with this year, which is ridiculous. Amazing. Mike, we were saying, you know, two years ago when he did five, we're like, I can't believe he's like, he's never he's never yeah. in the top five. And then here we are two years that? later. Eight. It's just incredible. And for the most part, like, all very enjoyable as far as I'm concerned. You know, I think maybe one I mean, will get there, but like one or two I that mean, like, you know, but all in all, I am, I was very pleased with his average this year. Like, very pleased. Like, a lot of fun. He's killing it this year. And also... That's the other thing we get when we're talking about running a cage, you know, film festival. Like, how are you, you know, how long will you keep it running? The joke was literally forever because he makes so many films. But, like, no one expected that we could program, like, another Holy Trinity this year with, like, Mom and Dad and Mandy and Between Worlds. And they're all so good. Yeah. And they're all, like, recent cage. Like, there's no... Uh, like there's like he he really his average is incredible right now. We moved like after we finished Cage, we started doing Keanu, and there was like I think literally a year in between Keanu movies, which I guess for actors is normal. Mm-hmm. But considering we were so trained to expect one every like two months, it's like that feels like forever. And you <laughs> yeah, know, Charlize does year. one or two a year, and like Shia does. We're not really covering Shia actively anymore, but like Shia puts out one maybe one a year. But like Cage is just like oh, it adds fuel to the fire in terms of like making fun of him but i also just i just appreciate because i would never have seen this movie if it wasn't for him and i don't think it's like a great movie but like i enjoyed watching it because he was in it if that makes sense no it is a great movie (laughs) between worlds is spectacular and craft and everything it's uh, it's really funny to see the reviews kind of breaking. I don't know if you've noticed, like I guess because the the releases is is happening now, like the reviews are coming out, um, which they obviously there's only been the Fantastic Fest reviews really up until now. You know because of the release, people are coming out and it is getting a bit of critical appreciation and like people are liking it. I think the New York Times gave it a really good review. It's because really? yeah, oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think we I think we might have posted it. Um, no one is saying this is terrible, but Cage is great, or this is they're saying this film is like is crazy it's like strange they're not saying like it's a bad film yeah it's definitely strange i give it that <laughs> I, I i knew nothing about it i took a glance at one of the several posters but i couldn't really <laughs> gleam anything off it except for this looks crazy <laughs> boy i was just from the beginning just taken on this ride and i gave myself over to this movie objectively it might not be the best film but i tell you i had a great time watching it and it just kept surprising me along the way you know speaking of the poster mike i I messaged this to you to to all of you yesterday but if you google image search between worlds poster uh the first three things that come up maybe if you filter by a certain like large or something i don't know but the first three posters that come up are all radically different which to (laughs) me means like they're either 
trying to remarket it or rebrand it or like do different audiences because like it feels like for big movies like they'll have like a lot of posters but they'll all be about a theme like these are like three like wildly different posters in style in color in content and like i don't think you can decipher anything from any of them really other than like maybe fire question mark i don't know yeah i mean even the one the one that's heavy fire themed is like quite misleading because it kind of has a it might make you think of drive angry more than the film that you're about to see like as if he's like leapt out of hell and it's not that film so yeah i don't don't know i think there was some kind of i remember like when the posters were kind of uh, being released that there was some question about whether or not this was like fan art or if it was like an official photograph and i don't know if maybe at least one of the posters is kind of maybe a production or a sales poster rather than like a you know commercial poster. I don't know. I mean, you say he doesn't go to hell, but he does Ghost Rider himself at one point at the end of this movie, <laughs> which we will get oh, to. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Uh, so this, I think, important to note: this is written and directed by a woman uh, who I've never heard of before. But you know, there's not a lot of movies or anything really what? written by or directed women. This is Maria mm-hmm. Pulera. This is, I think, like the first thing, or she did this thing called Falsely Accused, which yeah. is a Rosanna Arquette movie. This is, like, this is her baby. Like, this is her movie. This also stars, Mike, I don't know if you, as we're recording this just, like, a day or two ago, the new Hellboy trailer came out, and did you guys know that the daughter in this is, like, the fifth lead or something in Hellboy? Like, she's gonna be, like, this, I guess she's becoming, like, an action person, maybe? I don't know. If you consider this an action movie, I guess. Wow, I actually didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. I I wouldn't really consider this an action movie. Well, it's good, you know, there's (laughs) action in it. I mean, Cage gets a lot of action in it. It's a comedy. Oh, movie. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Too much action, some might say. Yeah, cut out all the action, and I think this movie is like an hour and 15 minutes, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> the first thing I noticed, and I was so glad that he actually wrote the score, the theme for it, but I don't know how he did. I couldn't believe it. When I was like, this opening music sounds like Twin Peaks, and I was like, oh, it was written by Angelo Badalamenti. And I was like, thank God that he did that, because it would have been like such a knockoff, such a ripoff. Like, we were just talking, Mike, which is not out yet, but the first episode of Hanks from the Memories, we were talking about how in He Knows You're Alone, the theme song is basically the Halloween theme just ripped from Halloween. And I was like, is this another one of those? But no, he just does his, like, beautiful, somber piano ballad. Why? I don't know. Like, maybe he's just like, hey, Cage, I worked with, you know, David Lynch and you on Wild at Heart 30 years ago. Like, maybe, you know, bring me back for this movie. I don't know. Another movie about fire. Who knows? I would love to know the story behind it. Also, because there's, like, there's at least one cue... Like you're saying, it sounds exactly like one of the, I think it's Audrey's theme from, from Twin yeah. Peaks, mm-hmm. but it sounds like a, one of these kind of Muzak knockoffs, like uh, God, God love you, <laughs> Angelo, like um, all respect to Angelo, but it made me wonder whether or not, like, if he did do the whole score or if he just kind of contributed to it or, because, you know, sometimes that's a thing. I almost wondered if they just got a hold of some of his old unused stuff like Tarantino did for Hateful Eight when he used some of like the old Marconi score that was never used for the thing. And he's just like, oh, we bought the rights to some of his unused music and we can like lace it throughout the movie because I can't imagine how they got him for this movie. But I mean, if they did, they did. And that's great. It helped the tone for me a lot. Like the the thing is so crazy. I was able to sort of say, okay, um, they're going into Twin Peaks territory. Like it's starting to get surreal intentionally. And so I could sort of accept the madness a little bit more just because of his musical cues. So I appreciated that. But also the, the needle drops in this film are, are crazy. 
like there's the Marilyn Manson cover, yeah, and then the the song at the end as well, like um, which I mean I don't I mean I, I presume we're gonna spoil this to a certain extent for people, otherwise we can't talk about it. But like um, you know, oh the, you know, no, spoil spoil away <laughs> by by all means. We're gonna we're gonna spoil this entire movie, but yeah, spoil away. But it's just like the the choice is just because you have these kind of like I guess kind of slightly bargain basement badalamenti. And then you have like the leader of the pack, and then oh, they put, put a spell on you, and it's like it's really unusual. The leader of the pack was like th- when that came in, I was I was blown away because I love that song. I want to say it was used really well, but like I I, I don't. It's just it's so it's just, it's just wild. It's wild. <laughs> I put a spell on you is. I think that sequence is one of my favorite sequences of the year because I was spellbound watching <laughs> Cage getting soaked with a hose in slow motion while shaking it and that song playing like i went i fell into a trance during that moment <laughs> i will never forget some of the scenes in this film they are emblazoned on my soul and i'm not just talking about his like you know banana hammock moments like they like the hose moment and there's just so many it's, it's almost like a kind of trauma i think in some, so, some ways this this it's this second walking around in his underwear moment while wearing an animal on his shirt scene this year because in mandy he had the tiger shirt on with his underwear in the bathroom. Yep. And then in this, he's wearing like the alligator shirt, and he's walking around in his underwear. It looks like he's got like snake skin happening? underwear on or something, right? Yeah, it's oh. snake skin. Well, I've it... got a tally. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it an alligator or a man gator? Because isn't that what he says to the yeah, guy? Yeah, he's like in the very first like opening scene. He's like, next time pick on a man gator, and then he like walks about the entire time in like a man gator shirt. <laughs> what, what is a like... man gator? He is a man gator. He's a man gator. Yeah. yeah, he answers that question. He yeah. poses that question and answers it. It's all about philosophy, really. Now, do you think that these uh, snakeskin underwear are a sign of his individuality and belief in personal freedom? I think uh, that's probably how he justifies it to whoever's trying to clothe him that day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I wonder, like, if he dresses himself, Nicholas, or that whole. There's loads of parts in the, this film where you're just like, that was a cage choice. Well, I actually meant like day to day. Does he dress himself? Oh. Like, no. Or does he does he get his clothes laid out for him? He looks the most like I see him when I see sort of paparazzi photos at the <sighs> airport. Yeah. Like he's got yeah. a ring on every finger. He's got like the leather jacket thing going. I mean, it works for his character because he's this trucker loner sort of guy. But I was I was like, oh, he kind of just looks like modern day to day caged a little bit with a little more beard and crazy hair. Yeah, I'm willing to bet that this is model's own wardrobe because. Um, he has that hat, the turkey and the wolf. I, that's my first note about the movie. I want to turkey and the wolf hat. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what, find that. Do, do you know we, what that is? Because I don't know what yeah, that is. Yeah. I didn't Google yeah. it. We investigated. It's a restaurant in New Orleans. Of course it is. Oh, New so Orleans. We couldn't figure, we, we really went deep with this research. Because like, if you go into the rent, they sell it. You can buy one. But it's not the kind that he has. Because he has a really specific, I think it has camouflage in the brim. They don't seem to sell that particular version online. And also it was sold out. Yeah. So, um, but these seem wow. shocked as well. So it's not like the restaurant knew that he was going to be wearing it, or he came in and bought it. They were just like, "Oh, there's a new cage film out," and he wears one of our hats the whole time. And they're kind of stoked about it, but we're not sure how he got it. Either they're been <laughs> really cool, yeah. or he stole one of their hats. Yeah. Well, he's got like an entire saga of films that take place in New Orleans. Basically, I think he lives there, there too, right? Like, yeah, he's and got he's got there. his he's got his pyramid there for when he passes away. He's going to be buried at the that yep. famous graveyard. So I was I, I I'm glad that is sort of a cage connection, a link to part of his life and. 
there's also a moment in here where he says like this bike will get you to memphis and i was like oh well there's sort of like an elvis nod or something too so he's sneaking in his personal touches all throughout this thing so what i did not know is that this is the third movie he's filmed in mobile alabama so this is i guess you know it's set in alabama and it's filmed in alabama Although, this is a little bit of trivia for you. I think one answer is obviously very, very obvious, but I want, I want to know if you guys can get the other ones. This is the fourth time in a Cage movie that he's named Joe. This is fourth time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, obviously, Joe. Right. That's the obvious one. So there's this one and Joe. There's two more. There's one that I remembered, and then one that I don't know if I knew or just maybe forgot. Can any of you this, remember this one of tough. the other two times that oh. he was named Joe? Bangkok Dangerous. Bangkok Dangerous. That's the one I remembered. Yeah. Yep. That's number three. And number four, I don't oh, know. Oh, wind takers. Wind talkers. Yeah, wind talkers. talkers. There nice. <laughs> wind talkers. Good pull. Thanks, IMDb. Yeah, Megan's definitely. Oh, you not. cheated. She's cheating. <laughs> But Joey, wow. this goes back to something I mentioned on a Revisited recently, where it's like, I need to brush up on that kind of stuff, like the trivia, like what was his character's name in every movie? <laughs> I know. I, I wish I, I wish I had that backlog In still. Wind Talkers, he was probably called by his last name. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that might not, that doesn't really count, but if you search yeah. on IMDb. <laughs> that is a pretty deep cut. You'd have to be sitting, like, reading out the names of his characters, like Aya, Aya Stark from Game of Thrones, <laughs> way before you went to bed, just to memorize all the names. Ooh, so, right. Yeah. I got list in my head right (laughs) all the cage characters i want to kill (laughs) now i don't know if you this is more of a keanu thing although it has crossed over a bit into cage mike i don't know if you made a note of this uh cage eats a hot dog very early in this movie and i lost my mind (laughs) (laughs) i didn't catch that i wasn't picking up on keanu cues because i was just so struck by this movie i was just so into it that i was trying to investigate the cageisms and things like his hand acting brilliant hand acting in this movie like really throwing those hands around especially in the first half so things like that were were really popping out to me i have a note written down here it's a quote early on and i don't remember the context at all hey hey do i have kids and he holds up a photo wife and daughter oops they're dead can you what what I what? literally you, have that written down as well. We, we all have that written down. He yeah. says, like, wife and daughter, you like? And shows her a picture of his wife and daughter. And then she says, aye, aye, they're lovely. And he goes, oops, they're dead. And like, got you. That's kind of an unexplained... I wonder how much of this is ad-libbed. Yeah, there's a lot of quotable cage lines that you're like, I kind of feel that these are totally improv. Yeah, he's got the way he calls it a couch. He's like the, ouch. (laughs) I was like, ooh, he's really just leaning into all these readings, and it's great. He's finding ways to just have fun here. This movie is really weird in that as soon as I finished it, I forgot like 80% of it. But I feel like the other 20%, I'm never going to forget. Like, it's just. 80% is all sex. That's why. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. I have, to, I have to say, like, it, it really does reward repeated viewing. Like, it, like there, I don't think there ever was a cage film that you could just, you could soak so much up in, like, the second time around. It's just, it really is the, is the gift that keeps giving. Like, I would recommend, like, watch this as many times as you possibly can. Well, so let's let's go over the plot, which we have not really mentioned here, <laughs> is that oh Cage is a trucker, down and out mm-hmm. of his luck, broke, dead wife, dead daughter. He meets up, he goes to this truck stop, finds a woman being choked, thinks he saves her, but then realizes that she's able to somehow communicate with the great beyond, go between worlds... We find out that her daughter was just in a motorcycle accident, which we like is alluded to, and we see like clips of multiple times. But like, 
we never actually see her in the accident, right? No, no, don't just, think so. Just flashback clips, yeah. yeah. But we we get like the clips, the flashbacks, like leading up to the accident. Like we're gonna get to it at some point. Like it's gonna be like Cage's fault or something, and we never get there. Oh, that's a good. Yeah, I never thought that. Well, that's good. Wow, but I've then, seen this film so many yeah. times and that hasn't occurred to me yet. But so then the boyfriend's also like the bad Zac Efron lookalike actor that's her, oh, the daughter's yeah. boyfriend. He alludes at one point that there was like stuff going on before it that he's pleased that she doesn't remember. So there's like little breadcrumbs that there's maybe stuff going on there, but then they're just right. like scrap that, end it with fire. I think all of this screams prequel to me. <laughs> I was just trying to figure out, like, her powers. She has to get choked out to communicate with the... De- like, this was crazy. Like, all, right off the bat, I was like, okay, this this is going to go out of control well, very I, fast. I want to say, <laughs> I think it's kind of established in that when she was drowning as a child, and that's when it first happened... She left oh, her the body, opening right? credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to, to kind of unlock her power, she has to kind of trigger it the same way. Or at least that's what she's come up with to trigger her power. So either like a near-death situation or maybe like being suffocated or not able to breathe. But that is able mm. to somehow put her between worlds. And then <laughs> yeah. that's where – it's kind of limbo-ish, but it's also like where people in comas go. But you also – It reminded <laughs> me of um, where the pay the ghost ghost keep, kept yes. all their children across the ghost Also bridge. very good point. The, the cr- I mean, this movie asks so many questions or sets up so many things that just has zero interest in paying off. Like, there is the nurse in that room who just feels like Southern Cajun. Because it seems like when Franca Potente, Run Lola Run, goes between worlds to rescue her daughter, the nurse senses or can see her do that and there's like and like there's a brief conversation about it later but it is like almost basically not addressed again i was like how are you not gonna like how is she not like the key to all of this why is she a nurse if she's also presumably a voodoo priestess is that what's implied i thought she was there to make sure stuff like this wouldn't happen like at the Uh... end she's like i'm there to make sure like you know the right one stays the right souls go on and you know, dead people don't come back with the wrong soul in their body. Uh, <laughs> so she's kind of like a Ghostbuster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more of a real-life Ghostbuster type, yeah. yeah. Megan, you mentioned the, the fake Zac Efron boyfriend. I yeah. thought it was a big missed opportunity that they did not cast Weston Cage in one of these two roles. Oh, that would be amazing. Because fa- there is a lot of, like, not bad acting, but there is a lot of, like, so-so acting in this. And fake Zac was that all the way through until the end when he's like, I'm totally on board with this whole body swap situation, let me shoot everybody. So I was there for that. He picked that up so quickly, that character, because he's like, you know, oh, I know what you've got crawling inside you. Everybody is on board immediately when Mm. they are explained what is happening. Like, when Cage's wife inside Billy's (laughs) body is, like, breaking it down, he's like, okay, yeah, all right, totally. I like that you just said that, like, like, it's just normal. Like, Cage's wife inside <laughs> Billy's body. Like, <laughs> Frank and Potente can go between worlds, but somehow, I guess she brings the wrong person back? Yeah, so is that because Cage was choking her out that the soul of his dead wife, who we find out was a vengeful person, spirit, died killing their daughter and then burning the house down to, like, spite Cage for some reason we never find out? I need to stop you there because she burns okay. one room down. Oh, yeah, that sorry. house is... In... No, because the whole time they're, like, you know, it's a terrible fire, like, killed the whole family. And then they go back to the house at the end and it seems to be 
half like half the back porch was burned down. Like he goes into the room where like supposedly the daughter died and it's like absolutely fine. Go well, back and watch the house. No, because then he goes back then. inside. I'm pretty sure that only like the f- back part was supposed to be burned. That makes no sense, like, from what he was saying. Yeah, but also none of this movie makes sense. So, like, I can't really <laughs> hold this against it. Well, I want the furnishing of the house to make sense. I want the burn <laughs> patterns to be real. <laughs> so I was just wondering if his contact with the the medium, because that's like kind of what Julie, the mom, is. Like, she's a medium. Like, is, was his, sort? did he, like, corrupt the process and, like, draw the wrong spirit? But that's never, he doesn't really display any other powers later in the movie really <laughs> he has a couple weird dreams but i just figured that was his wife's spirit messing with him and then later at the very end when julie gets choked out by fake zach efron <laughs> and that all finally comes back and they decide to try it that way again she like crosses over perfectly into the spirit world and can like maneuver and switch souls around it seems and do whatever she needs exchange her soul for her daughters or whatever ended up happening now mike i have a theory that when franca patente went between worlds uh she suffered from what i suffer from in hair blindness and just grabbed the wrong blonde girl and brought her back <laughs> oh, but that means that like a lot of it's kind of like the movie Ghost with Whoopi Goldberg, where like a lot of souls are always just kind of hanging around the hospital. Well, it feels like they're all just hanging places. around that burnt out house for no reason, and they're all just trying to jump into a, a living body whenever possible. It's just like there's a line in the afterlife. I don't know. <laughs> when the mother comes, Cage's first wife. Wait, Cage's only wife. <laughs> this is a lot to keep track of. When, at the end, the spirit of his dead wife returns to the afterlife, the daughter's just waiting for her there. Like, she's just been stood about the burnt-out house by herself, which takes negligence, parental negligence, to a whole other level. <laughs> for sure. Just, and she's just waiting. So, like, what's she doing all day? She's just, like, stood there. That's, like, a, that's a strange afterlife for a five-year-old child. There's also a brilliant part where Cage obviously forgets that he was meant to have a daughter, and he was like, how would I know I've never raised children? Like... <laughs> I guess the big question is, if his wife killed the daughter and then herself to spite Cage, why is he so quick to embrace her again when he finally believes that it's her in the body of Billy? Like, shouldn't he hate her? Oh, he didn't know until the very end, right? She kind of turns... And gives her villain speech and was like, "You thought I loved you, like oh, you know, I hated you." And and then he that? like cracks. He cracks. Oh yeah, he goes so cage crazy in that. Just says Sarah over and over again. Yeah, so because good. I think Zach Fakeron threatens to shoot him, and then she what? says, "Zach Fakeron, I like that." Okay, <laughs> keep going. Then, then she says, "Hey, no, only I get to shoot this idiot." And for some reason, she does this total heel turn out of nowhere and just like does that Bond villain, like this is actually I'm bad. And just like lets it all spill out. We, we, she had no reason to do that at all. Ultimately, she but, hated them for paying the mortgage. That, I think that's <laughs> like, what that's we're doing. amazing. Like she comes back from the dead just to kill him. What is she gonna do now? Run around in the new body, or is she gonna then kill herself again? But then she's stuck with him in the afterlife. So I'm just her ghost plan is just confusing a little. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's just no answer to this. Like, and I think it's um. That this is one reason why this this is a puzzle that's just gonna like keep people wondering for like generations to come. I think because I watched the last twenty minutes of the movie three times yesterday, and I still don't understand it. And maybe I just didn't watch enough of the end. But it feels like most of the movie is one thing, and then 
everything reverses. So by end, do you mean the sort of the Marvel stinger that we get where like oh. we find out Cage's character as a young boy shot his dad oh, to protect well, there, his mother? There, there, there's that for sure. <laughs> which makes like which, how is what? that the last thing we see in the movie? Wouldn't that be the first? <laughs> the walking kinda of suggests that he might have also shot his mother because like she stood right behind his dad when he shoots. Right. So is there a thing there about like maybe that implies that his character is bad? Somehow, because well, the dad threatens to he... burn down the house with the mum, and that's the only connection I could think that when he is like arguing with the mum, the dad shouts like, "I'll burn this all down," and that's what triggers Cage to like, oh, shoot him. My God, I've just realised. <laughs> Joe, Joe is married to Lydia Hurst. Is that who plays his first wife? Okay, think, yeah, the... yeah. Who is now married to uh, Chris Hard? Is that right? Of the Nerdist or ex of the Nerdist? Oh, is, is that her? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you Hurst. Might, you might yeah. want to double check that. He's definitely old enough to be her father oh, <laughs> in yes. real life. So what about if his wife is the reincarnated spirit of his dad that he shot? Oh, Whoa. and so that's why they wife? burned it yeah, down because he threatened she... to burn it anyway. Yeah. So he comes back as his wife to burn down his son's house and have a five-year-old child with them, that's deep. Yeah, that is... Whoa. That's a deep cut. That's fucked up. And then come back again after he died a second time to <laughs> inhabit a stranger's body that he just happened to be near in the hospital one day. And yeah. fuck his son a lot. That's some level. That is vengeance. That is crawling around inside you. I know. I wrote down in my notes, is she a demon? Otherwise, she's just like a random ghost. You know, I really thought that it was going to go there at one point. I was like, before before it became like nonstop sex, like in the <laughs> second act, which it becomes for a while, which, it's, okay. It's a real, I, I, I can't help but feel this is a real window into Cage's actual sex life. There's just <laughs> so much stuff that he's definitely brought to the role himself. Like when he says, fuck me, like Linda Blair and The Exorcist. Like repeatedly. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, because I thought, like, while they were, because they have rough sex, so I thought he was gonna start choking her during sex, um, and she was gonna start seeing crazier things, oh, that and then happened. maybe more like demons, and yeah, and then we find out that they aren't souls of people we loved, but there actually are demons crossing over, and it gets a lot more of a, like a horror thing going on. But it just it really sticks with that drive-in kind of exploitation just skin part like the skin flick part of it i also can't believe that we've talked for almost 40 minutes and we have not mentioned the fact that he while compromising billy or frank and Patente, i don't know everybody has blonde hair in this movie i am not good <laughs> with faces that he's reading from a book entitled the memories by nicholas cage yeah which what was that well we was amazing we've recreated that we've made that into a zine because we were so awestruck by the idea that cage just was like on set one day and was like do you know what this sex scene needs my memories <laughs> well my I, I i looked it up online and he said he was inspired by another writer let me see if i can find it real quick because that was a mind-blowing thing while watching this to me like that was a moment where i'm like this movie is hitting levels <laughs> that cage fans can appreciate and i feel like the average viewer might just sort of think is bad but like <laughs> in reality like if you can if you can really see what you're watching you know that like this is kind of one of the greatest moments in cage's <laughs> history like he's 
in the middle of sex reading from a book of his own memories? I was, like, losing my mind. He said, I was I inspired by the novels of Henry Miller, Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn. I always thought they were not only sensual, but hilarious in terms of the braggadocio of Henry Miller, that he would go into great detail about his adventures in the sensual realm, and I wanted to bring a little of that kind of humor to Between Worlds with that concept. Oh, well, that, that, that makes perfect sense. Just another thing, like the hat and stuff, you know, his little flourishes. Like, this might be one of the most, like, personal Cage movies that there's been yet. I don't know. But we know that when a director lets him do his thing and trusts in in him, great things can always happen. So I give a lot of credit to the director for... You know, having the guts to unleash the cage, basically, in this. I definitely like this movie the least of out of all four of us. It feels like all three of you are, like, are fully <laughs> on board. And I'm just here trying to, like, make sense of things. Well, I'm still trying to make sense of things, but I'm on board with the confusion and the fun and the madness of it. You need to watch another three or four times. Probably. That's, what I'm, that's, that's <laughs> the gist that I'm getting. I mean, there's just so much, there's so much stuff that you forget. I think for the first time through, your brain can't really comprehend that, like, he has this sex scene where he, at the end of it, he just smashes a lamp for no reason. Like, stuff like that all the way through. These wee details that you don't really register because they're too crazy. And then you can enjoy it on a second viewing. Joey, what about the moment when Billy's giving him a hand job on the couch while Julie's behind them in the kitchen and Cage, like, well, yeah, she, like is caught the between worlds. And then, yeah, she's getting called in like that. Yeah. I admire that. I, just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's also the first sex scene in this movie is when uh, he's talking to Franca Potente after they go back. He says, I smell like three days on the road. She says, I like it. He doesn't remember how to have sex. She says, I can show you. He says, really? You want to have sex? And then they, like, start going, like, animalistically. Like, he very clearly remembers. Like, is that like a pickup line, I guess? I think almost every line in this film is a pickup line. And if the lines that he uses on her work, then... I mean, anything he says is going to be effective, isn't it? Yeah. Like, after she catches him having sex with Billy, and he's running out in a, like, snakeskin, like, banana hammock, and then she says to him, like, put on some pants, you're disgusting, and he's so hurt for that. He's like, why would you say that? And it's, like, really (laughs) heartfelt and deep. And I feel like he genuinely was hurt by that. He's thinking he's in his prime in this. But the thing is, there's uh, honestly the trauma. There's some jiggling going on there that just really cut me to my core. He's got some middle-aged meat on the go. I wasn't. I was talking more about the, the banana hammock. Than oh. Was. <laughs> but, uh, you know, because he really leans into that particular scene. Mm. That's the that's the scene with perhaps the best line in the whole film, and and that's when like she confronts him, obviously, with you have to get rid of this this person. And like I, I guess the spirit that's inhabiting her daughter, and he just says, "What do you expect me to do? Kill my wife?" Like he's totally got her. He's like, "Well, what are you gonna do about that? You expect me to kill my wife?" And yeah. he just this little like big turn of his head, like you know, got you. <laughs> I do. I do feel that. Like I feel like he's coming across like super sincere. Like he's really got a handle on whoever this guy is even if i'm can't quite figure it out like somewhere in cage's mind he knows exactly what he's doing with this guy i buy it i guess that's what it comes down to he just commits he does commit that's cage yeah the thing that i was wondering the most about this movie while i was watching it is at what point they were going to address the fact that billy is not billy very early on she's like feeling herself up in the mirror and like smiling and i was like oh it's very clearly not her but like the movie 
gave no indication of who that was. And then she's like, there's that scene, I think a little bit later where she's like smoking a cigarette on her bed and like looking through like family photo albums and like, like shit talking to photo albums. I'm just like, there's so many things happening and the movie is like letting us know like that's not Billy, but it's not at all addressing who it might be, which is wild. Okay. And then eventually they they kind of get to when she when she confesses to Cage like this is you know I'm I'm your wife. But I was just like, at what point are they going to like? It was just like this sort of like cat and mouse game a little bit with the audience. Like you know that something's going on, but like we're we're gonna hold that reveal back. I don't know. I got it. I don't know how. <laughs> I got it immediately. You thought it was his wife. Immedi- immediately, <laughs> immediately, I wrote down. That's not his wife. In it. It's that. Is that his wife? And she had like one or two things where she was like, good to see you. And he's like, how do you know me? And all this. And I was like, "That I can't believe it. I mean, it wasn't confirmed until later. But somehow I knew. I couldn't believe it. And I'm so glad that the movie confirmed it or else I would have still felt crazy. I think it's there really early on. Like, and it's on Cage's face. I think when he's in the hospital room or sometime very early on when she's asleep in bed or waking up and she speaks to him and he looks at her and he has this look in his face as if to say you're my wife <laughs> and like I think that's how he sells it because you're already expecting it to like you know there's definitely something more than it's all in his one look this one expression that he does yeah but Billy's entire oddness like particularly after she gets out of the hospital can all be explained with the fact that she was let out of hospital three days after coming out of a coma with a lot of drugs like is that an american health system or because i was just like help her no wonder she's confused i i don't i don't have i don't really have answers for that what i (laughs) one of the greatest smash to title cards ever three days later you know black i i was so jarred from that that uh had to shift around in my seat a little bit i was like wait what what's happening one question this is nothing really to do with the plot but i don't know if any of you noticed but megan might because months and months ago megan (laughs) sent me an angry facebook message that said in her quest to become the pre the world's preeminent scholar on valley girl was it posters or what, what did we know there was something that we noticed about valley girl woody woodpecker yeah it was the woody woodpecker it's the woody woodpecker uh, brooch that julie is wearing when you're first introduced to julie in the mall and then later on when you're first introduced to randy he for no apparent reason also has this woody woodpecker brooch on and i thought i was the first person to pick this up i was like here we go like totally like confirmed the fact that I you know all know the most about Valley Girl and then when I searched it the only thing that came up was that you guys had clearly noticed <laughs> it at some point and wrote like one one sentence about it whereas I had like 500 paragraphs about this like how how like important this and you know what it signified about their love and all that. So yeah, you ruined that for me. Thank you. You're welcome. I th- that was all Mike, I'm pretty sure. I-, I also mentioned to you at the same time that, like, remember, Mike, really, really early on, I think it was maybe, like, Fast Times and then Valley Girl or Best of Times and Valley Girl where they had the same Devo poster on the wall. And we're like, what is oh. what is happening? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The reason I brought that up is because I don't know if any of you noticed the posters on Billy's walls, but they're basically just, like, stock photo. There yeah, is like just swimmers a go- and things. Yeah. There's a swimmer, and there's People's just a guy's, fashion. like, shirtless chest, but yeah. no head and no real legs. <laughs> it's just, like, a fit torso. And it's like, uh, oh. Like, it's just, we don't have the uh, money to afford anything. So, like, what is the cheapest thing we can put on the wall? And, I'm like, I was just thinking, like, what 18, 20-year-old girl, whatever, has these posters on her wall? No, nope, none of them. It's just... Well, 
wild. There's another element which I haven't had completely confirmed, but I'm pretty sure that at the side of the of the bed, there's a framed picture of Franco Patent with a cigarette in her mouth. Randomly. Really? Yeah, I think so. You, you, you can you see, see it, it in one of the, the humping scenes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So it's either her daughter's room or it's her room. Either, either way, way, it's weird. I mean, there's true. not one non-smoker in this entire film. Like, even the narcissist puffing away like no one's business. They're all getting lung cancer. <laughs> yeah. Like, hardcore. And Cage with the flask just chugging away throughout the whole movie. And oh, drinking yeah. her meds. He's drinking her meds. Secretly He's on chugging Oh, yeah, meds. This, the cough syrup, <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. Is it the no drowsy? Is that what it's called? Oh, yeah. He, he's addicted well, that's to what no he drowsy. calls it. I don't know if that's what it's called, but that's what he calls it, the no drowsy. <laughs> right. See, I wasn't sure if it was. Yeah, it's like American mm, drugs. <laughs> like I've heard no dose, and I've heard like other things that like you know, and like anti drowsy. Like, but like no drowsy does not seem like a thing that anybody would market because that is a terrible name, but also wonderful for you know Cage saying it. Yeah. Anything else that you guys caught that you that you really want to make sure that we cover? Any favorite moments? Any favorite lines? Any favorite gift worthy scenes? I guess we have to talk about Cage getting. So- I mean, we, we we alluded to it, but Cage getting soaked with the hose, right? Where he's in like a, a music video kind of of sorts mm-hmm. seemingly. Oh, but yeah. that's before like Julie's watching this and you know Billy like prancing around with Cage. Before she they've there like any suspicion properly I guess that they're pumping. And then she's like, okay I see this. It's kinda weird. It's totally weird. And she just leaves. She lets that play out in our back garden. Yeah. Like totally she's like fine. She's like, like it's she's... weird. And that's before Cage knows that's his wife, too, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like there's a lot of scenes in this movie where, like, I don't know if you're supposed to know if it's real or not. Like, it feels like there's a lot of scenes where, like, Franca Patente has the dream, right? Like, where she starts mm-hmm. to suspect that Cage is banging her daughter. She, like, dreams, like, walking in on them, and then she wakes up. And I feel like that might, again, kind of maybe be not real, but, like, it's never really confirmed or denied. Like, I mean, it makes as much sense being real or not real, but it feels like it's in that part of the movie where, like, we're not supposed to know if we can trust what we're seeing, I guess? It's possible. Was the ends as well? So, the, like, the him just dousing himself in petrol and then setting himself alight, but then still being able to have a cigarette? Yeah. Like, yes. that still works. All <laughs> while leader of the pack plays. And yeah. then putting, him, putting the cigarette out on himself. The CGI fire, by the way, is... Fire emoji, fire emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. It's about as realistic as the fire emoji, I can tell you that mm-hmm. much, that's for sure. But like he like splashes himself with the gasoline and has like this like wonderful face, like he like he got it in his mouth or something, and then he like splashes himself again. And what I what I what I think is cool, aside from the fact that the, the CGI looks terrible, is that he flicks the lighter open and immediately his entire body catches on fire. Yeah. It's... Well, but that's because gasoline you know it's the it's the fumes that that catch fire isn't it not the actual but it, yeah. it doesn't physics like totally applies to this, this i think maybe uh, he's film. just maybe he was already doused in petrol like maybe that. he's just a very flammable man yeah <laughs> maybe 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 he's got so much so many medicines and chemicals in his body <laughs> that they're bound to be a little bit flammable. oh jack daniels sponsored this entire film uh, there's not cool. a scene where there's not a bottle of jack daniels i like how he was baptized in both water and fire in this movie <laughs> He had the hose scene, and then he had burning himself alive. It's very biblical. <laughs> there is a scene where Cage and Franco Patente have sex on their couch, right? Like, in the house where the daughter is asleep, I guess? Oh, oh yeah, the mad stones. stones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's that was a pretty of, like, funny scene. Yeah, they're hysterical and screaming, and it's just... It's really uncomfortable, it's yeah. very upsetting. How do you know my last name? Because it's my last name, too. <laughs> Billy's gone. It's me, Mary. 
Mary's gone. You have respect for my wife, or I'll spank it into you. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. He's out for having sex with that young girl long before he's like, oh, it's my wife anyway. That's a total excuse. I'm wondering if he thinks he can parlay this somehow into like a weirdo three-way with the mother-daughter thing. And I was like, oh, don't go there. Please don't go there. <laughs> like, I'm, That's why I was glad at least one of them was possessed in some <laughs> manner. Because <laughs> at least it wasn't really technically, you know, her daughter. Yeah, but I mean, if I'm right, that was his father. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Oh, boy. Which I don't. Just I don't know what's weird. Uh, this needs several prequels, not just one. Oh yeah, definitely. When he's reading from Memories by Nicholas Cage, he references his golden cock, and I was wondering, Mike, if this is the golden man from Next, if this is like a crossover character. See, gold has been coming up lots and lots as we've been rewatching these movies too. You know, he wears the gold suit again, and. Um, snake eyes and everything so he likes to be the gold man do you think this is maybe like you know taken together as like a prophecy of a coming uh, gold man nicholas cage is somehow the uh, the avatar of this uh, new religion I, I think so i think it's just a biopic i think it's it's all factual wow think, so like i mean if he's reading from a book by nicholas cage that kind of implies that this takes place in a world where nicholas cage is Exists, yes, and it's famous enough to have a book published, or it's an alternate reality where Cage is an author. Oh, wow. Maybe Cage can jump between worlds. I mean, of course he can. (laughs) And do you think that, you know, this truck driver just happens to be a perfect doppelganger and gets noticed as Cage always, Cage, is that you? And he's like, no, 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 I'm just a trucker. Sorry. (laughs) You got me confused with someone else. (laughs) That's the most plausible explanation for this film. There are a couple quotes really at the end. The only other things that I really have written down that I want to mention is that uh, there's just a back and forth that I just love where Cage says to Billy when he knows it's his wife, you want the stars, baby, I'll give you the stars. And she says, you'll give me the stars, Joe? He says, I always said I would. And I was like, all right. Like, and that's it. Like, they just move on. Like, that's just, I guess, the thing that they talked about. That feels like a very noir line yes. to me, Joey. Mm-hmm. And like recently with not just Spider-Man, but like Dog Eat Dog and things yep. and like him really leaning into the Bogart stuff. Yeah. Like that, that's what it made me think of. And then the only other one I have is like in that same scene toward the end, Cage says a question that I wish more characters asked in movies, which is, you're not gaslighting me, are you? Which, you know, <laughs> when we did Inconceivable, which we absolutely loved, which I absolutely loved, throw that question out there and see how people react. Because, like, it feels like he could be just being lied to this entire time, but who knows? I uh, want to know who taught Cage the word gaslighting. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like, if he knew it before the script or if he just, you know, yeah. Who? Oh, oh, there's no script. didn't we establish it's more of like a documentary (laughs) i think this is basically all shot in uh, one of cage's many properties that he possibly burnt down by accident it's an insurance scam it's a long game but he's getting there i think there's a lot there's a lot of lines and moments in the film that make me wonder like there's the one where there's that where he suddenly stops and says out loud is that a siren do you hear a siren that's almost certainly not scripted, but they have added a siren sound effect. So I feel like <laughs> did they just maybe go back and like they fill in the blanks of the his performance? So to kind of basically the whole film is like constructed around his performance. I think that's I mean that would explain a lot. Also the fact that he dresses himself in what he's like, <laughs> hammock. Yeah. And has too much sex. Too much sex. <laughs> I don't know, it's like, it's like, you never get to the end of your life and say, oh, I wish I'd had less sex. I think maybe at the end of a shoot, Nicolas Cage says, could we maybe get some more sex into this film? 
and go back and do reshoots where I'm in there. I don't know what kind of room he was in. It was like he was in the back of a car or something. In the oh, flashback. the flashback scenes of the wife, yeah. Yeah, in some kind of van. But also with fairy lights, which is very, like, urban outfitters. Yes. Mike, do you have any other notes about Between Worlds before we uh, reflect back on the year that was? Oh, man, like, I do, but I don't want to go, like, launching into, like, a whole other hour of <laughs> of what is going on in this movie. It's not, like, one of the best movies, but, like, I had a hell of a great time watching this one. I thought Cage is terrific. He's really committed. He's having a lot of fun here. The story is really fucking crazy. It's so crazy and wacky and out of control. Like, I was also thinking at one point, Joey, like, if there was no sort of possession going on, this is this is kind of like one of those old Poison Ivy movies, where it's just sort of like a Skinamax flick that's on at, like, two in the morning. The newest uh, but, seduction. But this is more of, like, a modern sort of take on that, where they're adding exorcisms, and or what, they're adding uh, possession and all kinds of different crazy things going on here but i mean look i had a i had a great time it's not for everyone but i really feel like cage fans are gonna love it and find a lot in it to be talking about for a long time they announced that the blu-ray is coming out in february but it is on demand now this is one that you know we've i think we even mentioned might have mentioned on a previous episode that like it was floating around the dark web, if you will, what might cause the dark web, uh, for a while. Like, it got leaked somewhere at some point, and we were, we, we could have watched it, but, you know, we, we like to, I, I, it's important to me to be able to release these to a, a point where people can watch the movie and then listen. Yeah. And so we waited so, so, so long for this. In the, in that time that we were waiting, we also got, like, three other new Cage movies, so, like, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> we had the UK premiere, obviously, on the 6th of January. And then I believe it's been released by Thunderbird Releasing in March in the UK. So there's still a wee bit of time to wait for the UK audiences if they want to stay on the right side of the dark web. I remember we waited like a year in America for the Humanity Bureau release. So like, that's a really, that was a tough one to wait for. But yeah. All right, so now that you, you mentioned the Humanity Bureau, Mike, let us go back to the beginning of the year. First movie that we covered, Mom and Dad. This is a movie that I saw last year at Fantastic Fest. Uh, we had Greg McLennan on the episode to talk about it. You guys both, obviously, over in Scotland saw Mom and Dad. You're screening it at Cagerama 2. You know, we, we already spent an hour discussing it, but quick thoughts. How does that fall? Where does that fall in the year of Cage? I think it's probably closer to the top than the bottom for me, but what do you guys think of Mom and Dad pretty quickly? Pretty close to the top. Like, I mean, I'm not just saying that because we, the director is going to join us for a Q&A afterwards. It's also like hugely enjoyable film. I think it's there's hardly any setup. It's straight into it. There's no real mythology to it. It just cuts straight to the chase, and then there's no real meat on it. It's almost like a joke like structure of a film. It's just like set up punchline and 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 it's out. And it, there's like really no like fat on it. I just found it really enjoyable. I would like more cage and pants screen time, but I feel that like that would be my comment for any film. Yeah. <laughs> if he's not in pants, he has to be smashing something up. So I think we've got, you know... Yeah, the balance is there. Yeah, he smashes the pool table, right? Or there's the pool While table scene. While doing the hokey-pokey, yep. Yeah. 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 yeah, I really enjoyed Mom and Dad this year. I thought it was a great way to kick it off. Joey, you know, we don't really... Or we all know we, there's not very many horror movie cage to choose right, from. Right, right, right. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. I did wish he was in it a little more, but it really he really got to use like his strengths in it, I feel like, when he was on. And I was glad they didn't waste time establishing what we all know from watching similar movies in the past, like The Crazies or something. Like We could all just get into it, get on with it. Like he says, sort of like set up punchline, in and out. 
nice and quick. Next up, we had Looking Glass. We had Holly Gore, Mad Holly Gore, on to talk about a movie she did not like, but Looking Glass, which I don't know if any of you have seen Bad Times of the El Royale, but there's a little bit of Looking Glass in that. Yeah. I was going to say, I haven't seen this one, and realized, yes, we have. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, you absolutely have yeah, seen Yeah, I have seen this, but that's a comment on that film. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the, I think the most noteworthy thing to me is that he cleans his glasses with a dollar bill, which is <laughs> definitely something yeah. that happens in that movie. Uh, not good. Not, I mean, not bad, <laughs> but not great. You liked it more than I did. I, I did, think, but I also, you know, yeah. Robin Tunney from Prison Break is his wife in that. I don't know why I remember that, but... I do. They just inherit a motel. There's another one. They lost a child, right? So this yeah. sort of theme keeps coming. Cage is going to deal with a lot of loss this year in his characters. Next up, the Humanity Bureau, which, Mike, you absolutely adored. I, which <laughs> I adored this movie. Which baffles me. We have Lindsay I mean, Gibb on to talk about that one. Cage author Lindsay Gibb. I know it's weak. I know it's got a lot of shortcomings, but I admire its potential and like what it wanted to be and do and i just liked it as a dystopian story i think it would have been a better read than a watch but i'm glad it exists did you guys see that one i mean that that was one that you had way before us well funnily enough we haven't seen that one but it is on netflix here and like i think i remember the the trailers for it like kind of made it look not promising at all or at least the first one did and the second one was like more promising but for for one reason or another we we haven't got around to it yet it's because his face is so big in the poster. His face is It pissed me off. I don't want to see big face cage. If you want to know exactly what the current climate in America is, watch that movie. It is a reflection of our times. Like, that's that not, that's not even remotely true. I mean, I guess it kind of... <laughs> It's, but it's based, it's sort of based on a future that could, you know, that they're like, oh, if things keep going this way, Humanity Bureau is going to be, you know, it's going to happen. And there is a picture of, with a politician in that movie and Donald Trump. So, so that that's, you know, that's something. Next up, Mike, we had 211 with Walt Hickey, which was a great episode, but arguably, or maybe not even arguably, the worst Cage movie that we've ever seen. <laughs> that's putting yeah. a lot of weight on that. Have you seen that or no? No. No, we haven't seen that. <laughs> It's got Weston in there. I thought that was interesting. Weston Cage plays a character. He's like one of the bank robbers. It's maybe the entire movie is a shootout, which was. But that's the, that's making it sound clever. Than I, it is. It, no, no, they didn't exactly like that. Sounds cool in theory, but pulling that off, like unless you're someone like Michael Mann in Heat, you know, like I feel like well, you was, know, uh, tone down your gun, your shootouts. There was uh, the Ben Wheatley film Free Fire as well. That was. That made a really good fest of just being a, a bit of shootout. Yes, but that was also, yeah. again, not as good as it could have been. Ben Wheatley's a guy yeah. that, like, I've got a lot of thoughts about Ben Wheatley, so maybe we'll do him for Cinemakers one day, except if I never see a field in England again, I'm probably okay with that. <laughs> Next up, we had Mandy with Christian Larson, co-host of Monkey Club, maybe a future host of a, a, another podcast on our network, who knows. Mandy, one of my absolute favorite movies of the year. Mike and I did a little bit of a weird thing in that we watched it, watched it again immediately, and did a revisited of it, and then a week later did the actual Cage Club episode of it. So I don't know how much there is more to say about Mandy. I think all four of us really love that movie, but go for it. I haven't seen it. What? Oh, no. What? Stop recording. (laughs) But, I mean, you're going to see it in a great environment. I can tell you that much. Yeah, Yeah. and we've even got the actual Cheddar Goblin. No. Oh, great. <laughs> I know that much. Like how well I, I you know, intertwine those references so no one guesses I've not seen the biggest Cage film ever. I've seen Monday. <laughs> well I, done. Two thumbs up. Uh, and yeah, we're looking forward to, to having the, the minds behind Too Many Cooks and the General Goblin joining as well. So it should be should be fun. But yeah, that, that definitely was like 
at such a high point this year. Mike and I have talked about a couple times that we had tickets to see that in two different theaters, and then we wound up just watching it in his place with with our friend Brian, who uh, hosts High School Slumber Party here on the network. But you know, I, I wish that I saw it in theaters, but I also was just glad that we got to see it. You know, basically as as many times as we wanted right away. So yeah, and I bought a brand new TV that day. True. So. It was the second movie I screened on it, the first movie being Firebirds yep. with Nicolas Cage and Tommy Lee Jones. I am the so. greatest. <laughs> oh, we, yeah, we, we recently watched that. We watched that this year that. as well. <laughs> it's That's a so fun good. one. Yeah. Next, after Mandy, we had Teen Titans Go to the Movies, where Superman was finally, or Cage finally got to play Superman. Lindsay Gibb once again back on that one. That, well, another movie we're going to get to in a little bit. Animated movies, Cage sort of in the background, but this was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be, and I really enjoyed Teen Titans Go. Yeah, it's great, and like just fantastic that he could do Superman and Spider-Man in one year, and, you know, just finally get him playing Superman. Again, my only comment for this is that I'd like to see him pantless more, but I guess it's a PG, so... <laughs> yeah, I really like this one too, Joey. And then, like, like you said, finally got to be Superman. And I think it showed that he worked. He would have maybe worked yeah. well too. As some of these lines in live action would have been a lot of fun to see. Like, I think he says "ta-ta", Ta-ta. as he flies away. Yeah. And stuff. <laughs> but yeah, and and just getting animated Cage again, and sort of playing the background Cage. You know, I think like you especially were saying recently a lot where it's like we don't necessarily need him to be the lead. Like it's great when he is, but it's also cool if he could just sort of be a great supporting character as well and like someone to enhance other performances or other parts of the film. Yeah. So which some of that. Which he did in the next movie, the only other movie that we're going to talk about today, I mean the only other as in we've already talked about eight of them, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is another one of my favorite movies of the year. Incredible. Is that has that released in Scotland yet? Have you guys seen that yet? Yeah, just last week I saw it. I don't think Megan's seen it. Um, I've not seen it. I'm limited with film watching because I have to make sure every second film I watch is Valley Girl. So it slows me down a bit, but I'll get Wait, are you eventually. really alternating Valley Girl with every other movie? <laughs> no. I mean, I've only watched it five times this year. Okay, that's not crazy. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I have a podcast where three times a year we're watching every Fast and Furious movie, so oh my uh, God. I, I get it. I think so I've just watched Night of the Comet about three or four times, you know, for fun. Also, so. <laughs> yeah. That's a very great, like, uh, Valley Girl references on it. Very great being grammatically correct. <laughs> Joey, you and I, this was only the second Cage movie we saw together in theaters, yep. the first being Snowden. Yep. Like you said, we had tickets for Mandy, but we opted to watch it in the comfort of our own homes. Um, but this was that was a great day, too, because we just spent all day at the movies. But this was a great film-going experience. Like, you know, the, the art, the story, just like everything really clicked. So now as we look ahead to what's coming next, we have some point maybe next year maybe not running with the devil primal kill chain grand isle a score to settle prisoners of the ghost land and the crudes too so first up i don't know sean and megan if you know anything about these i i, I don't really uh mike i don't know if you do either but first up running with the devil an international drug kingpin sends two of his most highly regarded assassins to investigate why shipments are being hijacked and overcut Starring Nicolas Cage, Leslie Bibb, Lawrence Fishburne, Barry Pepper, Adam Goldberg, Clifton Collins Jr. Wow. Directed and written by this guy, Jason Cabell, Cable, 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 who seems mostly like an actor for things that I don't know. And this seems to be his only his second writing and directing thing. So does that sound good? Is that, I mean, we're obviously going to all see all of these movies, but um, are we looking forward to this one more? I think just because the cast alone. Yeah, I'm a big like Lawrence Fishburne fan, so I mm-hmm. think him and Cage will be fire emoji. 
But who is he playing? That's the question. Is he uh, Nicholas Cage plays. Oh, oh, this is so. This is super cool. So no, I, maybe, or you might hate this. I think it's super cool. <laughs> Nobody has a character name. So Nicholas Cage is the oh. cook. Leslie Bibb is the agent in charge. Lawrence oh. Fishburne is the man. Barry Pepper is the boss. This sounds like it might have theatrical release potential. I I love this cast. You know, this, and they're all pretty hot. You know, like. Lawrence Fishburne was in a Marvel movie recently, Leslie Bibb. And what I was just going to say is that, you know, I just saw yesterday as we're recording this, The Mule, and I knew nothing about that movie. I really liked it, but Lawrence Fishburne is in it. There's a scene where, like, Lawrence Fishburne's just talking to Bradley Cooper, and I was like, what the fuck is it? Like, what? I mean, I know it's a Clint Eastwood (laughs) movie, but, like, I was like, where is it? And, like, then, a little bit later, there's a scene where, like, Bradley Cooper and Michael Pena and Eugene Cordero are all in a car, and, like, where is this movie? Like, how, like, I knew nothing about it. All I knew from the trailer was, like, him with, like, his you know, zip uh, his duffel bag full of, you know, kilos of cocaine or whatever. But, like, I was like, where were all these people hiding? But so many people in the mule. Very, very good. Go check that out. But Running with the Devil, I am excited for. But, yeah, Mike, I agree. I think very possible that we might get a theatrical release. Here is a crazy poster where they're Ooh. all credited cage with glasses. A strong oh, yeah. cage look. Lawrence uh, Fishburne wonder... with, like, a hat of some kind. So, yeah. What's the, the tagline is, tastes like heaven, burns like hell. Oh my god. Whoa. Uh, Mike, I'm second thought. I don't think this is going to hit theaters. (laughs) (laughs) Next movie up, we have Primal. This the animal one? The the boat full of animals that start going nuts or something? I think I've heard a little bit about this one. I'm I'm anticipating it. Yeah, so a big game hunter for zoos who has booked passage on a Greek shipping freighter with a fresh haul of exotic and deadly animals from the Amazon, including a rare white jaguar, along with a political assassin being extradited to the U.S. in secret. Two days into the journey, the assassin escapes and releases the captive animals, throwing the ship into chaos. Starring Nicolas Cage, Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos, Famke Jansen, and also uh, of sort of note is that I reached out to a guy on Twitter, uh, this guy Tommy Walker, who I think is going to be in maybe a superhero movie coming up. His his Instagram is very hopeful and optimistic. And he, I just like, he's in this movie with Nicolas Cage. I don't know who he is, but I was like, hey, do you have any interest in talking to us? And he said yes. So I don't know if he's going to be on the show or not, but like we might actually have someone who has worked with Cage uh, talking to us about this movie if he's not a superstar by the time this movie comes out. But Primal, written by Richard Letter and directed by Nick Powell, Richard Letter, who has written... Nothing I've heard of. A lot of TV stuff. And Nick Powell, who is, oh, mostly a stunt guy, uh, did stunts on The Bourne Identity, The Last Samurai, a bunch of movies. And he also, oh, Mike and Sean and Megan, he directed (laughs) Outcast, the Cage Hayden Christensen movie. So this is his second Cage team up. What are we thinking about Primal? I'm excited for it. I am automatically disappointed because I thought you said a big game hunter for Zeus, as in the Greek god. Um, but I believe you said zoos, as in zoo z o o s, yes, the animal jail, um, or <laughs> sorry, z o o s. I just, I mean, I, I would have been excited to see Cage as a big game hunter for Zeus. So mm, I'm not sure how I feel about Primal. It sounds like Conair with animals, so I'm kind of into it. Okay, I am back on board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just like the idea that he's trapped on a boat with wild animals. Is but, you know, what's he going to do? <laughs> it's going to be crazy. Well, is that, again, what's his character name? Because for all we know, he's playing a rare white jaguar. He no, is. He's playing a human Frank character. Frank Walsh. Frank Walsh. Walsh. Mm. Ah! I guess that's close to my name, I think, is what <laughs> Megan's trying to say. Next movie we have Kill Chain, written and directed by Ken Sanzel, 
Uh, he's written a bunch of things, wrote a bunch of TV show episodes. The three strangers' lives are inevitably entangled in a conflict none of them are prepared for. Starring Nicolas Cage, Enrico Colatoni, who I bet I think is maybe best known for being uh, Veronica Mars' dad on Veronica Mars, and also starring Ryan Quantin, which I why do I know who you are? He's the guy from. He was in True Blood. He was in eighty-one episodes of True Blood. This feels like the most vague. Uh, description and cast that we've had so far, but, you know, Cage is in it, and I'm excited. Are you guys excited? Yeah, yes. why not? <laughs> I like the title, Kill Chain. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Next up, Grand Isle. A young father is charged for murder and must prove his innocence through recalling a very twisted and dark night of events. Directed by Stephen S. Campanelli, who has directed things that I have never heard of before. Written by Ivor William Jala who has written nothing I've ever heard of. He only wrote one other thing. And also written by Rich Ronat. This is the first thing he's ever written. And this stars Nicholas Cage's second build on here, but also in here, Kelsey Grammer. And Luke wow. Benward is the top build guy. I don't know who you are. Best known for How to Eat Fried Worms. So, How on earth has Luke Benward ended up above Nicholas Cage. Is is Cage the dad? He plays Walter, if that helps. No. Again, it's kind of a nice title, Grand Isle. Yeah. I don't know how it relates to the synopsis at all, but I'm down. It seems like it's going to be maybe a thriller of some type. Next up, a score to settle. An ex-enforcer for a local crime syndicate has vowed to enact retribution on his mob bosses after 22 years of wrongful imprisonment. The only thing diverting his violent plans is a newfound relationship to his beloved son, starring Nicolas Cage and Benjamin Bratt, directed by Sean Koo. Any, any, any thoughts on that one? We, I think we've entered the vague, thriller-y, straight-to-Netflix Yeah, I was going to say, these year. all feel like streaming titles, which I definitely will watch and enjoy. Not overly excited. So you're, you're promising to enjoy this ahead of time? Yeah. Okay. I think that's the like, least you can do for Cage. We can... We'll, we will enjoy these movies. I can promise you that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. We give him his our love. We give him our life. Oh, we are in a cult. We are. So it could always be interesting when Cage works with first timers, writers, directors, what have you, and all that. You never really know which way it's going to go. I mean, most of the time, yes, it tends to get released straight to, to video on demand, but that doesn't necessarily always mean that they're the worst movies either you know i think joey and i have been surprised once or twice with yep. a couple of those direct to dvd flicks and things uh i mean maybe maybe more early on like stolen yeah. and uh seeking justice those were really good but you know since then it's been yeah I'm trying to stay positive the last one i think we're gonna get next year since the crudes 2 which we'll get to next uh is gonna come out i think 2020 but prisoners of the Ghostland, the one i'm most excited for a notorious criminal must break an evil curse in order to rescue an abducted girl who has mysteriously disappeared. The reason I am so excited for this, no one else in the movie so far except for Nicolas Cage, directed by Sion Sono, who has directed Why Don't You Play in Hell, directed Tokyo Tribe, has made like such a, a career out of crazy, insane movies. This is also the one that Cage is going around saying that this is his craziest movie. Definitely one to look out for. It's Tag. We, we just really? wanted that yeah. you directed Tag, which we watched this year as well. I like this idea of a curse in Cage, so I'm all I'm on board for sure. Oh, wait, he did Tag, the one that's on Netflix? Yes. The one that's yeah. like the dimension-hopping schoolgirl thing? Yeah, that is, a, that is a weird and good movie. 
And then last but not least, the only other credit on his IMDb right now, not coming out next year, not coming out, not coming out until September 18th, 2020, The Croods 2, the prehistoric family, The Croods are challenged by a rival family, The Bettermans, who claim to be better and more evolved. Back, Ryan Reynolds, back, Emma Stone, also in here, playing the neighbors, Leslie Mann and Peter Dinklage, uh, Clark Duke back, Kat Dennings is in here, Cloris Leachman's in here, Catherine Keener's in here. Gonna have to bring back our Croods expert, Brian Petronchak, for that one. But we really like the Croods, and I am excited for the Croods, too. Yes, very excited. It's, it's pretty crazy that the Croods went on. They got their own Netflix show. I thought for sure that would have been the end of that. Like, we're never getting another movie. But that's that show must have done pretty well then and revived yeah. interest. Because, like, I love Animated Cage, especially when... They use them, and they definitely used them in Crude's one. Are you have you read the quote that that Cage gave about Prisoners of the Ghostland? He's described the he, he gave a really really exciting quote about the film. He said, um, "It might be the wildest movie I've ever made, and that's saying something. It's out there. I wear a skin tight black leather jumpsuit with grenades attached to different body parts, and if I don't rescue the governor's daughter from this state line where they're all ghosts and bring her back, they're gonna blow me up." It's just crazy. It's way out there. And yeah. that's the quote. Wow, it was almost like an, an escape from New York type of thing. Yeah, I think they had us at skin tight black uh, leather jumpsuit. Oh yeah, I feel like Jason by that point. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what happens with the jumpsuit, as long as it's on there. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today to talk about Between Worlds. Best of luck with Kajorama. We have some fans over in England. I know that I, I'm pretty sure uh, John and Danielle, who have listened and who have written in, who have sent us some fan art and stuff, I think that they're both going to go. So I know that they're very excited to see Mandy see Between Worlds to just be part oh, of Kajorama. Uh, are there still tickets available or no? Uh, well, there's no weekend passes. There's no day passes. There's some tickets left for uh, Between Worlds because we have a bigger screen. But for the most part, it's, it's sold out. I think we may have some tickets for Adaptation, which was a late edition. Because tragically, we can't show Zandali anymore. Judd Reinhold get in the way with that? <laughs> yeah, he, he had an injunction against us. I feel like it's probably for the best that you don't watch Zandali in a packed theater. But maybe, maybe, maybe you're missing out on something. I don't know. Yeah, I well, feel that's the only and best way to watch it. The thing is, like, we only really realized in retrospect that if we'd gone ahead with that, we would have had Zandali, Vampire's Kiss, World at Heart, and Between Worlds all in one day. And that is an, an awful lot of partially closed cage across all those films. Uh, as, I mean, and then obviously climaxing with the banana hammock in between worlds. But Give uh, the people what they want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're really glad to have adaptation. But it does mean that we have a couple of tickets left for that screening. So yeah, apart from that, we're also there. Well, like I said, best of luck. And Mike, we will be back uh, shortly. I guess in a couple of weeks, you'll hear us again for... Uh, the next Cage Club Revisited, which we're going to be doing Raising Arizona. So we've been saving that for a while, but we're going to do that very soon, and we'll be back every two weeks. Then whenever we have new Cage movies, we'll be back here, but we also are now in the... In the we're about to be in the swing of the Tom Tom Club, the Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise podcasts, alternating every other Friday, Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise. Uh, come check us out. Uh, everything at cageclub.me. We have an email address here, mailbag at cageclub.me. Email us thoughts about Between Worlds, are you going to Cage-O-Rama? Let us know. What do you think of Cage's eight movies in the year? Because that's ridiculous. That's crazy. It's awesome. What do we? What do you think of the movies coming next year? All sorts of fun stuff. Just email. Just say hi. Mailbag at cageclub.me. And last but not least, we have a Patreon account, which we released, I think, a separate little special thing. But if you want to support us, 
in our pursuit to keep watching Nicolas Cage movies forever. Um, if you want to help us or decide what we're going to watch next, if you want to get some Cage Club merch, go to patreon.com slash cageclub, chip in a couple bucks, you can get some cool rewards and prizes and swag and stuff like that. So, And you can also just say hi there, because I'm posting some special stuff there that I'm not posting anywhere else. So... A good year, Mike. Thank you for doing this Cage Club stuff with us. Very I'm going to see year. you literally tomorrow to do more Cage Club stuff. But <laughs> yep. uh, as far as this feed goes, this is the last episode of the year. Uh, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, and at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, mailbag at cageclub.me. Just let us know that you're listening. Just say hi. Patreon.com slash cageclub, and we'll see you next year for hopefully more than eight Cage movies. Who knows? We can dream big. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And from Cagerama, those are Megan Mitchell and Sean Welsh, and we'll see you next time for whatever movie it is, right here on YouTube.